Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA as we dig into the Word of God. Be reading today in the book of Nahum or Nahum, however you want to say that. It's for those who, if you want to turn there, it's right after Micah and right before Habakkuk. Please stand. First seven verses. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. God is jealous. And the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance upon his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt. The earth heaves or burns at his presence. And yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. And the good part for us is the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him.
Good morning and welcome. Let's begin with another word of prayer. Father God, again, we come into your presence this morning eager to learn more from your truth, to know more about you. We ask that your spirit would take the hour and guide us into that truth, reveal it to us, help us to be uh, instructed and shaped by it uh, so that it would touch our lives and would indeed be a light to our feet and a light uh, to our path as we go out into the world and we meet the responsibilities that we're called to, Lord. We ask that your truth would abide and remain in us. And as we look at the text before us today, uh, we pray that we would be able to understand it, uh, understand it accurately, that your spirit would guide us into that truth. Ask that you would give me the words to say this morning. Ask that you would be with Pastor Jim and all the men that are traveling to teach at the conference this week. We pray your hand of protection upon them and ask both here and there that your name would be proclaimed and professed and that you would receive glory and honor for your name's sake. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to try to cover all 17 verses here. I chose this text because uh, this is the, the month of June, and in, uh, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years or so, the, the, the month of June has kind of been gone from being known as the month of, of weddings, the wedding season, to a season of pride and debauchery and all types of evil that is now celebrated openly. So I wanted to address that. This is, of course, Paul's letter to Timothy. It's his instruction to uh, his son in the faith. And I think there are some things here that we can take from the uh, instructions that Paul's going to give Timothy. Uh, We're going to see three different things that he lists that are imperatives, that are commands for Timothy, that also uh, relate to us. And it relates to evil that abounds around us. And this is, uh, as we spoke this morning, evil and evil people have always existed. Um, There are always times of difficulty is the word that's going to be used here in verse 1. There's always been persecution and trouble and challenges for the church. Today is no different, but as we're going to see here, this section also is addressing a time when things are particularly ramped up and particularly difficult. So just to lay some of the background before we get into verse 1, as I mentioned, this is Paul's instructional letter, his second letter to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, his understudy. Paul has written this to Timothy while he is awaiting execution, and this letter is to encourage him to be bold in the faith, not to be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. He is to guard and to fan the flame of the gift, the deposit that was given to him by the laying on of hands. So he is to fan that flame, to exercise the gift that's given to him, to share in the sufferings of the faith. Uh, He is called uh, to be a focused soldier that is not entangled in the world, to be a dedicated athlete who adheres to the rules, to practice the work ethic of a dedicated farmer, And to be a workman that's not ashamed, but rightly divides the word of truth. And in 
the end of chapter 2, Paul has given him instructions to avoid quarrels and controversies. And we'll read that last section so we have the lead into chapter 3. Verse 22 of chapter 2 reads, Now flee the youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculation, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentle correcting those who are opposed are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. And they may come to their sense and escape from the snares of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So that's the hope that Paul gives Timothy, that by preaching the truth, some would come to the knowledge of the truth and come to repentance, that God would grant them Repentance, and they would escape the snare of the devil and would not be held captive by him to do his will. And it is contrasted to that that we get the lead into chapter 3, starting with the but, but in case that doesn't happen. That is the, the hope, of course, that God grants repentance and people escape the snare of the devil. But if that doesn't happen, realize this, and this is the first imperative that... The first command that we're going to see, remember I said there's going to be three of them. This is the first one. The first one is to realize, that is to understand, to grasp, to take hold of, to comprehend. But realize this. So the first command is understanding, being aware that in the last days, difficult times will come. Uh, The word difficult here, it means harsh, means troublesome, hard to bear. Uh, the word is used one other time in the New Testament, and it's used in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And in this case, the word that's used for difficult um, is used in a, in a very extreme way. It says in verse 28, this is Jesus uh, with the demoniac of the Gadarenes. And when he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men confronted him as they were coming out of the tombs, they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. So the word that's used there for these demon-possessed men is extremely violent. That's the same word that Paul uses here to describe the times that will come, these difficult times that will come at the last days, these extremely violent, extremely harsh, troublesome times that are expected to come at the last days. Again, his command is for Timothy to realize this, to comprehend, to be expecting this, to be on the lookout for this. And I don't know uh, how our friends in the post-millennial viewpoint of eschatology, what they do with this verse, because their understanding of eschatology would say that things continue to get better. I don't know how you can understand that from this particular verse where it says that things will become difficult. And as we're going to see in verse 13, as we'll look at later, there's this process of evil men and deceivers where they continue to descend into more evil and more deception. Paul there in verse 13 says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so 
we need to understand this in a couple different ways. One, in the specific sense that it's talking about here, that in the last days there will be these perilous times, these difficult times that will come. There will be this lead up into that to where things will just spiral out of control with, with more evil and more deception going from bad to worse. But as we were talking this morning, there's always been people that meet the description that Paul's about to lay out here. He gives us, I think, 19 different descriptions different adjectives that describe these people in the first nine verses. And I think he's doing so intentionally for the very reason that he commands, that we realize he's giving us all of these different descriptions. It's it's not just enough to say, well, men are going to get worse and worse. He does say that, but he gives us great detail. Some of these adjectives and some of these descriptions are seemingly somewhat similar uh, on the surface, but actually uh, when we look into them, we can see that they have very specific meanings to them. So I think Paul is doing that intentionally because we are to realize, we are to be expecting this type of behavior. We are to be on the lookout. Certainly he's calling for Timothy to do that. Uh, So I think it is important for us to understand all of these. And as I'm looking through these and we look at some of the Greek terms, I think it'll set off in your mind applications for today. And that was one of the things I was thinking about was, well, I could use each one of these terms and we could apply it to today. We could easily see the connection. But I don't even think I need to do that because I think you'll be making that connection in your head in real time as we look at these different terms and the ways that people are going to be behaving. But know also that there has always been evil and persecution and difficult times in the church going all the way back to its inception. And some of this application that Paul's giving to Timothy is for him there, particularly at that time. So we can see that uh, it transcends the whole scope of the history of the church, but it is also pointing towards a future difficult time, that future difficult time that Paul has talked about elsewhere, uh, particularly in 2 Thessalonians, uh, where he talks to the Thessalonian church and warns them about a time that is coming, a time of great trouble, and he says there will be strong delusion at that particular period and that there will be uh, the mystery of lawlessness. And that's, of course, talking about the end times right before the Lord returns. So the first command here, realize that the difficult, the, the troublesome, the extremely violent times will come. Expect it. That's number one. Expect those times to come. And then verse 2, there's a conjunction, there's a connective with uh, the word for. So he's connecting these difficult times that are to come with the men and these descriptions of them. So these times are brought on because of the way that men behave, the way that they carry themselves uh, as we're about to see. The first one here for men will be lovers of self, lovers of self. Someone that is preoccupied with themselves. And this is the common mantra of the day. The psychology today tells us that we have to love ourselves first, that you can't love anyone until you love yourself first. And that prioritizing the self above all others, certainly above others and the Creator, is what is to be expected. That is the way the world teaches us to love ourselves. Um, not including others. And as we look at the rest of these, we're going to see that it really starts with this and all of the other 
uh, attributes, if you can call them that, really kind of flow for this. That if you start with yourself and loving yourself and you prioritize yourself above all else, some of these other things just naturally fall into place because of it. Um, But that is, of course, not what we were taught to do as Christians. We're not taught to love ourselves. We're taught to give preference to others. And, of course, we know that the great commandment that the Lord gave us to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and then the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's sacrificial love. Well, the men described here do not possess that at all. Romans 12.10 tells us uh, that instructs us that we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Again, that is completely opposite to the way that these men behave in this particular time. And as we see, this is the way that men will naturally gravitate to without the light of the truth. Lovers of self. It certainly creates a dark and lawless world in one where men are all lovers of themselves. Uh, we see things like forgiveness and grace and tolerance. All of those things go by the wayside. So with lovers of self, the second one that Paul is here, lovers of money. So they become lovers of the self, but then they also, of course, because they're trying to appease to the, their flesh, they're trying to appeal to their flesh, and they can't satiate it. They are lovers of money. They want to consume. They want to hoard for themselves all types of material goods. They, uh, the Greek word here is actually phylos argoros, uh, which is silver. So lovers, silver. And I was hoping Steve would be here this morning to help me out with some of these Greek words because I, I would like to lean on him. So I'm sure, sure I will butcher some of these. But nonetheless, lovers of self... And lovers of money are the first two attributes, these descriptions that Paul gives us about what men will be like in these difficult, trying times. And then the next two, in verse 2, boastful and arrogant. Boastful and arrogant. Again, we've talked about this quite a lot from this pulpit, talked about what is the number one most recited a sin that the scriptures attribute to us, it's pride over and over again. The Bible talks about our pride and the problem that human nature has, just that natural tendency to be prideful. And this is the characteristics that we will see during these difficult times. Boastful and arrogant, men that are speaking of themselves in a prideful way, making grand statements that they don't live up to, that they can't in any way accomplish just professing themselves to be wiser than they are, having an inflated ego, being arrogant. And you can see when you get a whole society or a whole group of people that love themselves, that are boastful and arrogant together, it makes for a pretty unruly, lawless society. And I think we can see that play out today. There is no shortage of boastfulness and arrogance and pride. I I think of just what we are calling this month currently Pride Month. You know, we're attributing a whole month to this celebration and calling it pride and just the arrogance to be able to do so, you know, openly before God to say, well, this is Pride Month and we're proud to be proud, uh, proud of our sin. 
And there is no governor, seemingly, be, uh, with men to get them to understand that being arrogant and boastful and prideful is not, not an attribute. But uh, unfortunately, it seems like it is all the more being considered to be such. Uh, the next description that Paul gives us is revilers, boastful, arrogant, and then revilers. That is, blasphemous, evil speakers. Uh, they make up lies. They make up accusations to corrupt evil speech. They will lie about anyone. There is no governor on their lips. They say whatever comes to their mind. And the destruction and the, the darkness in their heart just flows out from their mouth. There is no governor holding them back. Sadly, the with social media these days. Boy, we see that a lot. We see uh, just unbridled speech, um, people that will just talk down about anyone and everyone. Uh, It's almost as if it's a sport. The next description that Paul gives us is disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. And at first glance, it almost seems like well, that's a little different than some of these. You know, disobedience to parents, is that, is that really as bad as some of these other things? But it is because when people don't respect authority, particularly the authority that God has put in place, when they're disobedient to their parents, they grow up and they're disobedient to the other authorities. They're disobedient to the governing authorities that God has put in place. And it just leads to lawlessness and it's amazing how much, how many television shows that you can watch where the child is presented as smarter in their opinions than the parents. The parents are always foolish and being corrected by the child. Uh, it's, it's upside down. And so we can see very much how uh, disobedience to parents leads to lawlessness. Of course, disobedience to parents, the Fifth commandment, and Ephesians tells us that that is the first commandment with promise. You know, honor your mother and father, for this is the first commandment with promise, so that it may turn out well for you that you may live long on the earth. So God saw that it was very important that children were obedient to their parents and honored them because that created order. Um, That created a a natural family order because children... Unfortunately, their minds are not developed fully. And, amen, amen? (laughs) their minds are not developed fully, and they think that they may know things, but it is important for the parent to be able to help the child by correcting the child who doesn't have the understanding that the adult uh, has gained over the years. So undisciplined children, disobedient to parents, is the next example. So... From there, from disobedience parents, there's also ungrateful, ungrateful. And this is the first of several that we're going to see here in the Greek. It has the term here, akaristos. So it has that alpha negative, that A in front of the word that, that makes it negative. Not, that A not, not charismatos. So it's, it's from the word that we get grace. Um, so it's non-grateful, uh, not having grace, um, not being thankful, being cold-hearted, being callous, not 
appreciating anything that is giving to them, not having the grace of forgiveness, not extending that to someone else, just someone that is, well, and you can see how if somebody is a lover of self, a lover of money is all about consuming for themselves, that naturally that leads to ungratefulness. They, they believe they are entitled uh, and they are looking out for themselves. So they're not very forgiving or not, they're not extending any grace to other people uh, that they would expect for themselves. Ungratefulness. Uh, the next continuing with the alpha negatives is unholy, unholy. And this one here, anosios, that is without or a, the negative, ah, without hosios, which is the word from which we get the, the hagias, the holy, the set aside or sanctified. So people who are without reverence, they, they, they don't have any capacity um, to revere things, to, to hold anything sacred. They, there's no category within them for that particular understanding. They, they don't see anything as having a sacred, holy value, certainly not uh, the things of God. It was interesting. I just came across a, uh, a video. I posted it on my Facebook. I don't know if some of you saw this. The uh, Jeopardy uh, recently, there was three guests, and one of the questions was from Matthew 6, verse 9, with the Lord's Prayer there. And no one could point out the answer of the Lord's Prayer, the question being like, our God, he is first and foremost, of course, as we know, a holy God. None of them can see that. We'll, we'll go to, uh, I'll actually just go there and read that uh, in Matthew 6, verse 9. Let's take a look at that. This is, of course, what God has to say about his character. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9, our Father, this is the Lord's Prayer, of course, our Father, which art in heaven... And what is his character? What is his title that he, this is him instructing us how to pray. Our Father, which in the hallowed, holy is your name, thy kingdom come. And of course, you know, that is a very common prayer. People have always known that, that that is the name for God, that he is holy. And of course, the, in this episode, uh, it was interesting and, and very indicative of the time in which we live that no one knew the answer to this, no one knew the question. The, the buzzers all rang and no one had the answer. No one knew that to say that God was holy. So that's another example that's indicative of the time in which we live, that there is people do not have the reverence. They are unholy. They don't have an understanding for the things that are holy. And certainly they don't see God as being holy. They don't revere him. They don't revere his word. Uh, they don't hold his people uh, in a category of being set aside for his work. So we see a lot of people who are indeed unholy and don't revere the things that are. So back to our text in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Unholy, and then the next one, unloving. Again, continuing with the alpha negative, without natural affection. And this is really the root here in the Greek is for the familial family love. Without love for the family, without uh, regard, natural love for the family. And that, this one you can definitely see 
that God has structured a family to be a husband and a wife and the children set up in a particular way that honors him. Even in nature with the animals, we see that reflected. But these men in these difficult times that Paul is warning us about are men that they don't have this natural understanding this uh, of how the family structure, they don't have the respect for it. And we can see that with abortion running rampant, um, that people are just willingly dismissing life. People are saying that a child can have two mothers or two fathers or the mothers and the fathers can change their roles or, or do whatever they please. There's not this natural family unit that God has given us, that God has blessed us with. There's no respect for that. And we can see, of course, how things could get quite difficult uh, with that. The next one being irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. Uh, This is someone, uh, again, this Greek word also has the alpha negative, but it's someone who will not truce here, someone who will not come to an agreement implacable, one who cannot agree with someone on friendly terms. So this is someone that is just hard-hearted and you cannot deal with, you cannot negotiate with, you cannot come to friendly terms with it. They're set in their ways and you can't reason with them. You can't speak truth to them and, and, and expect to have a discussion where you can come to uh, friendly terms Uh, They are just set off and set in their ways, and they are unable to come to any type of agreement. They're irreconcilable. And again, I don't need to make the connections there. The next one being malicious gossips. Malicious gossips. Uh, This one is the Greek word Diabolos, and we can see from that word where it comes from. We know that Satan is the one who falsely accuses, the one who slanders. uh, And that is a sure sign of difficult times. People who uh, are engaged in malicious gossip. And we mentioned social media. You see this all over social media that we have TV shows that are just developed around malicious gossip people that are willing to say anything about anyone, no matter how true, that they take joy in just bringing people down, just talking evil about people in order to bring them down. There's a a sense of satisfaction that they get from destroying someone's reputation by just gossiping about them rampantly. Without self-control is the next one. Without self-control Again, with the alpha negative, uh, without self-control, undisciplined, unbridled, uh, someone who is unable to hold back on their desires, their fleshly desires. They just pursue them openly. They eat and drink and consume with excess. They have no desire to be disciplined. They live to consume and to appease their flesh, but they can't appease it. So they continue to just go into that downward spiral without any self-control. The next one being brutal, brutal. This is the term in the Greek for just not tame, savage or fierce, untamed, raw, brute beasts. This is quite scary when you combine all of the other aspects of what Paul is talking about. Someone that is selfish and has no heart for other people and that is brutal. 
uh, you can see how things can turn very dark and difficult quite quickly. Uh, we know that there have been all types of evil, godless regimes in the past that have been brutal to people in so many different ways. Genocides and think back to the, the Holocaust and to think that how do people get to a point where they can be so brutal to other people that they can be so savage and fierce, but yet that is what humanity looks like when it doesn't comport itself to the truth. Uh, when it runs rampant, when it goes in, in the same way as Paul talks about in Romans 1, when it doesn't recognize the things that are of God, it then devolves into this complete rampant debauchery and it's a very disgusting picture that happens. Haters of good is the next one. Haters of good. So these are people that, well, they hate good. They hate God as well. Um, they're hostile to the things of God. They're enemies of righteousness. Uh, they will oppose anything good, anything pure. They hate to see it. They don't want to be around it because it turns them off. They, they're repelled from it. They don't want to be anywhere near. They don't want the word of God being uh, spoken about in any public way, uh, certainly. And uh, they want to silence anything that is Christian, anything that is pure and good and lovely. They want nothing to do with. They're consumed with their own flesh and they only want their own sins around them. They don't want anything coming against that. And they hate the good things. They hate righteousness. The next one in verse 4 being treacherous. Treacherous. This is a betrayer or traitor. And this is the same word that's used to describe Judas in Luke 6.16. That he is a betrayer. Someone that is willing to betray family or friends or whoever it may be just for the sake of improving their position. Um, someone that is, well, as we know with, in Judas' case, for money. He was, a, he was willing to betray Jesus for, for money. And we can see that, that nothing has changed. Judas is actually, uh, his method is quite common that people will betray others for, for money. And that way of living will only increase during this particular time uh, that Paul is alluding to. The next one being reckless. Recklessness. The word here is, means to, to fall forward. That is to be impulsive, rash, and, and just, just recklessness. To run headlong into something without regard or without contemplating it or thinking it over. Just the first impulse going with that and without any type of consultation or anything like that. That just, people are just pursuing their natural base impulse of their, their recklessness. From there, conceited, conceited. The, the word here is to be puffed up, to be haughty, to be consumed with, with hot air, if you will. Someone that, that's often how we refer to them. Somebody that is full of hot air, that is self-inflated, has a, a view of themselves that is beyond the scope of reality. People who are puffed up with themselves, who are haughty, who are filled with pride to just such a great extent. And they're lovers of pleasure 
rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is uh, philos hedonon, which is philos, of course we know, is, is love. And hedonon, which is the word for which, you know, of course we get hedonism or the pursuit of pleasure. These are hedonists is uh, what he's describing here. People that their aim and purpose in life is to pursue all the pleasures, whatever pleasure it may be. They are encouraged, they desire to only follow after pleasure. There's no interest in, in being a lover of God. There's no pleasure taken in pursuing the things of righteousness, but yet they are only interested in pursuing the vile passions of their flesh. And we see this more and more to a degree where if you even say it's wrong for someone to pursue the desires of their flesh, you're the one that's wrong. That that's, that's anathema to say that. You know, somebody has a, an instinct, a proclivity for a particular pleasure of the flesh, however debased it may be, you can't tell them they're wrong because that's who they are and they're supposed to be free to pursue any pleasure they desire. But we know that is not how we are taught to live. We are supposed to put off the things of the flesh and put on the spirit of God. But these, of course, just pursue wholeheartedly after pleasure, and they hate. They do not pursue the love of God. And then they have a form of uh, godliness. This is an interesting description. They, they have a form of godliness that they hold to, um, but they deny the power of it. They, they deny its power. Uh, so there's a semblance, there's this form of religion that they carry about around them, but yet there's no substance to it. There's no truth. There's no truth about who Christ is. He is the dunamis. He is that power of salvation. They don't recognize that, but yet they still like to as much as it benefits them to have the appearance of a religion. I, I can't help but when I think of this one, think of the Vatican and, and showing and displaying all of its religiosity, but yet is so vacuous and empty on the inside, denying Christ or denying all types of things that the scripture would have us know and the scripture would have us understand. So know that there will be those people, people that like to have this air of religiosity, but yet inside are vacuous. They deny the true power of the gospel, the true power of the scriptures. And that leads us to the next imperative, the next command that Paul gives to Timothy here in chapter 3. Of course, the first one being be aware, understand that this is coming, be on the lookout, and then he gives us all the different attributes to look for. He said, these are the types of people that you'll see. This is what to be on the lookout for. Know that these difficult times are coming. And then what's the command? What's the imperative that he is given? Verse Five, the end of verse 5. Avoid such men as these. Avoid such men as these. Turn from them. It's a very strong word to turn away from. Have nothing to do. Stay away from these types of people. And I think we have a tendency to read that and try to perhaps want to water that down a bit. To think maybe we should just avoid the behavior. We don't want to necessarily avoid the people I don't think we should water that down. I think Paul is saying exactly what he means. 
And he's instructing Timothy to do so. He is saying, avoid, stay away from these types of people. And there's a danger in suggesting, believing that we can be among this type of people and that we can not be influenced in any way. The hubris, the false sense of confidence that it takes to think that we can mingle with someone, group of people that are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, malicious gossips, arrogant, haters of good, lovers of pleasure, and that we wouldn't be influenced by that. Paul sees this as a very real danger, uh, to borrow the phrase from the 90s, a clear and present danger to avoid. Avoid these people. Turn from them. Do not be a part of them. Yes, we praise God that we are marked by a spirit and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But to think that we can't be influenced by these types of people is naive. I think that we are probably far too tolerant about what we will allow ourselves to mix and mingle and associate with and what will allow ourselves to consume and what will bring into our homes and under the thought uh, that it won't affect us. But that's the reason that Paul commands Timothy to avoid because he does not want this in the church because as we're going to see in the next verse, it has an effect. Uh, It seeks out and it takes captive. It looks to take a prey. Recently, I was uh, in downtown in the Nashville area, and I drove by a uh, an old historic church. I'm not exactly sure how long it had been there, but out front of that church, there was a cross, and draped over the cross, there was a pride flag on top of the cross. Now, that flag and the would of course never have been there, you know, back in when the church was founded, of course, they would never have allowed for something like that. They would never have allowed for such debased homosexuality and just rampant uh, abominations, as the Bible calls them, to be something that is promoted within the church. Um, But somehow, along the way, it happened. Somehow, along the way, that happened to that church. And it's because of this command right here that Paul commands them to avoid such people because they did not avoid them, but that they wanted to bring them in. They wanted to be friends with those people. They thought they could change those people. And because they did not heed this command, they fell suspect. And they were the ones that were taken in as prey. And the word of God then is not proclaimed in its truth. Um, I think that there are far too many untaught and ill-equipped Christians that are running out headlong naively into the culture thinking they're going to change the culture. And sadly, what happens far too often is they come back and the culture has radically changed them. And so that is why Paul's command here to avoid is so important The danger is that it creeps into the church and it changes the church. That it takes prey on ill-equipped and untaught Christians. Because that's what happens in verse 6. For among them, these people group, the people group that Paul has just listed, this is verse 6. For among them are those who enter into households 
and captive, weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So these imposters, these deceivers, are intentionally coming into, they're trying to sneak into areas where they can gain a foothold. And if you don't avoid them, they'll sneak and they'll come into the household, the, the areas where you feel you're safe. They'll enter there. They'll look to captivate. They'll look to take prey. And they do so on, particularly mentions women here, weak women weighed down in their sins. People who are, remember it was Eve who was beguiled first. But men are susceptible to this, obviously, as well. Weighed down in their sins, led on by various impulses. So if there is someone that is not grounded, not steadfast in the word, someone that is uh, really the way it's described in verse 7, sheds a lot of light on it, but they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So someone that is always looking for that new novel understanding. Really, the the term in our day is open-minded. So someone that is open-minded to too many things, they'll look to this, this is new, or they'll they'll go pursuing this thing, and now this this belief is taught, or now this psychology method is the new thing. Whatever it may be, they have a bent toward that. They're always looking for uh, the new thing. They're always wanting to learn but they're unable to come to the true knowledge, the true understanding of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And these people that have this, embody all of these terrible characteristics that Paul just laid out, those are the ones looking for this type of people. That's a, that's a scary proposition right there uh, to know that they're looking to prey on people like this. And that's why the commandment is so strong to avoid them because they will come in, they will sneak in, they will take captive, they will, those who are weighed down with sin, so those who are not strong in the truth, those who do not understand and that are impulsive, always learning, always looking for that new novel thing, but not able to come to it. They're open-minded to too many things, Again, that is the way that we're taught to be today. Be open-minded. You should always you know, be open-minded to anything. Well, it's through that open-mindedness that an awful lot of evil sneaks in. And Paul uses this example then in verse 8 that he um, gives to Timothy. Timothy, of course, being a Jew and being familiar with the, the history of Moses and the children of Israel in Egypt, this example then helps Timothy to understand what Moses is saying. For just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Uh, now Janus and Jambres, though they're not mentioned in the scriptures, the oral tradition holds that these were the names of the Pharaoh's soothsayers, Pharaoh's magicians um, that stood up to Moses and Aaron when God sent Moses and Aaron in to try to release the children of Israel before Pharaoh. And they performed their signs. And then if you'll remember, you know, Moses and Aaron threw down their rods that turned into serpents and these soothsayers, these magicians threw their, down their rods and it did the same. Even though the uh, serpents of Moses and Aaron then ate uh, the serpents of the sorcerers. But they stood in opposition to what God had purposed um, that the children of Israel should leave. And they were there doing that to try to convince Pharaoh that 
he should not let the people go. So just as that happened with Moses, Paul is saying, so there will always be these people that are in opposition, in opposition to the truth, that look to a prose, that will use deception. They, will, uh, they have a depraved mind, it says. They re- reject it in regard to the faith. They have no association with true and genuine faith. Um, they operate from a depraved mind. But verse 9, thankfully, gives us this promise, and this is Paul saying this to Timothy as an encouragement, they will not make further progress. The implication that they can make some progress, but they will not make further progress than what God allows them. And he again uses the example of Janus and Jambres. For their folly, their foolishness will be observed all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also have a couple verses up here that expose the folly of Janus and Jambres in Exodus 8 uh, with the plagues of the insects. It says this regarding them. And then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, extend your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may turn into gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron extended his hand and his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on every person and animal. And all the dust of the earth turned into gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. And the soothsayers, soothsayer priests tried with their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So that there were gnats on every animal. Then the soothsayer priest said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So there was a limitation there with these soothsayers, Janus and Jambres. And Paul is telling Timothy, that just like there was a God placed a limit on what they could do there, so these deceivers uh, at this time as well, and in the time of difficulty to come, there's a limit to what they can get away with. And that's an encouragement to know that when we see the evil surrounding us and we see so much of it, it, it's easy to get disheartened by it and to think that there's no turning back from this, but there is encouragement to be found to know that. God has set limits to that, that they cannot progress further than he has determined that they can. And then verse 10, Paul transitions into the section. He's warned Timothy. He's given them the particular behavior to be on the lookout. He's given him the reaction that he should have to that behavior, that he should avoid it. And now in this last section, he's going to lay out the remedy. What, what then are you to do? You're to avoid these people But then this is what you are to pursue, Timothy. This is what you are to focus on. He says in verse 10, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, in Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Out of them all, the Lord rescued me. So, Paul is assuring Timothy, reminding him that he has followed him in his teachings, in in all things. He's followed his conduct. Remember, Paul instructed, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, He's followed him in the purpose, his patience, his love, his perseverance. And, of course, the application here being about the persecution to know that in these times, with people like that, in dark times, expect that there will be persecution for he says in verse 12 indeed all who desire to live godly 
in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I think it's notable that Paul added the phrase, in Christ Jesus. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because that is just reiterating what our Lord said in John chapter 15. That if the world hates you, you should know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So it is because of that testimony of Christ that the world persecutes you. It is because of that, because it hated him, because it hated him first. Therefore, naturally, it will hate his followers that hold and maintain the testimony of Christ Jesus. So the encouraging part of that is, even though it's dark, expect the the worst, expect the, the difficult times, but yet the promise is that God rescues me. The Lord, throughout all of these troubles that Paul went through, the Lord rescued him out of it. And of course, we know that Paul suffered so much, shipwrecked, beaten, um, stoned, uh, hungry, uh, imprisoned, so many things that Paul experienced. And yet throughout all of that, and even as he's speaking now, being in prison, waiting to be executed, even throughout all that, the Lord rescued him. The Lord continued to provide. The Lord continued to deliver. And so the point and purpose that he's trying to convey to Timothy is that when you see this, do not be disheartened. Know that there's a limit to it and know that God rescues his own. Expect to see the persecution, expect it, but rejoice to know that the Lord delivers his own. He will not forsake us. The evil men, however, and the imposters, verse 13 says, they will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we talked about this a little bit already, that that's kind of his summary for these people, that this behavior, all of these characteristics that they embody lead to just a descent more and more into corruption and perversion and all types of evil behavior. And it will go from bad to worse. This is a cheer up saints, it's going to get worse verse. Um, And they deceive and are being deceived. I think it's interesting here that not only are they deceiving people, they're actively going out and deceiving people, but they themselves are being deceived by all the lies. So others are deceiving them and they're deceiving themselves. So there's so much deception that they can't separate truth from fiction and they just it's this huge wall of deception. It's it's hard not to see all of the deception that we see. So many. It's so hard to determine these days what is true and what is not. You see a headline. I don't know if that's true. Could be. It could be someone with a bias. It could be. You just don't know. Uh, you can't take even major headlines from newspapers. You can't know for sure if they're true anymore. And it's just people that are deceived and being deceived. And then the third imperative, the third commandment that he gives to Timothy is, however, you continue, that is abide, that is remain in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith 
which is in Christ Jesus. So continue, remain. You've been trained. Paul has taught him personally. Paul has given him instructions. He has been his mentor. He knows the truth, even as a child. And that, of course, is our commandment as well, to stay grounded in the truth, to pursue and to stay, abide in that. Just like we sang, your word is a light unto my feet. It's very applicable to what Paul is saying here, that it is what leads us. It is what reveals truth to us and and determines our way. Paul has given Timothy this charge previously in his first letter to Timothy. He instructed Timothy, this is chapter 4 of the first book of Timothy, verse 16. O Timothy, give heed to doctrine. Give heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them. That's the same word. Continue, remain, abide, be steadfast, pursue, be invested in doctrine. In so doing, you shall save yourself and those who hear you. That call, that in light of this type of difficult times around him and with a culture surrounding like it is us these days we are to be first and foremost aware avoid and then be invested be continue in the word give heed pay attention to doctrine that's so important there's so many churches that will have you believe don't bring doctrine don't we don't want to deal with doctrine doctrine is divisive but it is through doctrine and through teaching through the understanding of the word, that we know the truth. There's no other way we can understand it if we don't invest ourselves in the truth of the scriptures. Continue in them, for in so doing you shall save yourself and those that hear you. Or as he says in verse 15, that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings. He's referring to the Old Testament there, which was able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in the Christ Jesus. And I, the word here that he's using for salvation is sozo. And it, it's not the salvation that we commonly refer to as regeneration or being born again or the new birth. It's, it's simply deliverance. He's talking about being delivered, that this is the antidote. This is the remedy to all the false teaching, all the deception. Be grounded in this. Be grounded in truth and doctrine. And that is what will deliver you. That is how you will know truth. If you are invested, O Timothy, in doctrine, in truth, if you remain, if you continue in the things that you have learned, that is our call as well, that we remain in them, that we be convinced and we have to stay in them from your childhood as Timothy was. Timothy, of course, uh, he was a Jew and Paul reminded us in the opening chapter of 2 Timothy that he had taught Timothy and that Timothy's mother and grandmother, his mother Lois, or his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were also of the faith. So Timothy had that built into him from a very early age. He had that instilled into him. And he is called here. He's given this charge by Paul to continue to abide, to remain in what he has learned And so you parents out there who are raising up your children, teaching them the scriptures, are giving them the right antidote so that they'll be able to handle this culture that is around them that is filled with deception. That's the best and only thing you can give to them that will be helpful. There's no other remedy here but the truth.
So abide and remain in these things, Timothy. And then verse 16 and 17, where we're going to close on, is this beautiful reminder as to why, what it is about the scriptures that we're supposed to continue in, that we're supposed to pay so much attention, what it is about them that makes them so powerful. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture, and of course, we know that the immediate application here is, Paul is talking about the Old Testament. But we also know that Peter, in 2 Peter 3, refers to Paul's letters as being there are those who don't understand them, those who misuse them and distort them. Peter says there, as they do, speaking of Paul's letter, as they do the rest of the scriptures. So Peter equates Paul's letters with scriptures. And we know that the New Testament and the Old Testament are inspired by God, are God breathed out. They, this is the very word of God that we get to have and to hold before us. And that's what makes it so unique, separate from any other article, any other magazine, anything else that we can read or consume. This alone is different because this is God-breathed. This is theonostos, God-breathed, God-inspired word. This is not the ideas or the opinions of men. This is the very word of God, and it is different because we know that uh, Peter also tells us in 2 Peter 1, he gives us the details about this, about the scriptures and where they come from. 2 Peter 1 verse 20, For we know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of someone's own interpretation. In other words, the words say what they mean. They have their own meaning and we are not to interject our interpretation on them. They say what they mean. It's not of someone's private interpretation for no prophecy of scripture was ever made by an act of human will. Never made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That is God breathed. That is why the scriptures are so trustworthy because they are not the opinions of men because they stand alone on their own. They are the very word of God. And that's why Paul is so serious about challenging Timothy to be committed to doctrine, to teaching, because it is useful. It is profitable, as he says here. It's profitable for teaching, so we can learn and gain from it. We can gain from the truth. It's profitable for reproof. So if someone comes to us with air, we can correct them. We can stand up against that challenge. It's profitable for correction. Someone who is misguided maybe doesn't know the complete understanding of the truth, that scriptures are useful. Uh, we can use those in, in correcting someone for training in righteousness, for training us in a way that we are to live in a holy manner, for training us in a way that we ought to conduct ourselves while we are a part of the world. Why? So that the man of God, the person of God, may be adequate, that is sufficient, that we may be equipped. So we have all the tools necessary because of the word of God, equipped for every good work. 
Timothy's good work in this case, as Paul is going to expound on in the next chapter, is he is called in his vocation to preach the word at Ephesus where he was the leader. He is called there to preach the word in season and out of season. Uh, that was his particular calling that he was called to. And this, the word of God is sufficient and adequate to equip him for that vocation, for that purpose. But whatever we are called to, whatever our particular gift, whatever our particular vocation is that the Lord has us in, it doesn't matter. It's still the same. It's the scriptures. It's the truth. It's the God-breathed Theonostos that we need to lean on, that we need to embrace and consume and digest over and over again. It is that that equips us, that gives us the adequate tools that we need to go out and to be useful, to be productive, to be profitable, as it says here. Only the scriptures can do that. So, in summary, by reminder, what is Paul teaching Timothy, his son in the faith here? First and foremost, know, recognize that the dark times will come. And he gives us descriptions what those look like, what the people that bring on those dark times, what they look like, the characteristics they possess. And he says, this is what they look like. Avoid them because of the danger they possess. They desire to sneak in and to um, deceive and take captive. But once you've avoided that, always, always continue in the faith, continue in the training and teaching and the doctrine that I have given you, Timothy. Take hold of this God-breathed, God-inspired scripture that you have before us. And that's the only lifeline that we have. That's the only remedy. That's the only thing that we can cling to in a world of deception that surrounds us and seems to get even greater and even greater levels of deception every day. Cling to the word. That's all. If I leave you with nothing else, cling to the word. Take heed to doctrine. Love doctrine. Hold fast to it. you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.